You guys, welcome to episode 18 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I am your host, Troy McEady, and today I'm going to be talking about somebody that we have talked about before. I figured we've been acquainted now for 18 weeks, and that seems like an appropriate amount of time to like start circling back. And maybe talking about, just every once in a while, somebody that we've discussed, one of their other relationships, and talk about them in a completely different context. And uh, as you know, Wilmer Valderrama, who, by the way, I've been practicing his name for you. I was very embarrassed by our last last episode where I talked about him because I literally couldn't say his name. And I had to say it 700 times, and I got, like, PTSD flashbacks of being, like nine and having like the speech therapist come into my elementary school and like tap 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 on my shoulder and like give me like the finger wave to come with her to like the basement of my elementary school to learn how to say ours um but i've been working on it and anyway i'm just gonna call him wilmer the whole time he doesn't deserve like a first and last name thing but what is he i mean who cares so what who cares so i'm gonna be talking about him and this time we're gonna be discussing his relationship with mandy moore who was another one of the people on the list of uh, women that he exploited on the Howard Stern show when he was talking about, like, taking virginities and people's bodies and how big his dick is and all this stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We've talked about it before, but this time I went full Carrie Matheson. Like, I don't know if you guys watch Homeland, but this was, like, a full-on, like, mental break for me. So I, I trans... <laughs> I basically transcribed the entire conversation, like everything that had to do with Mandy Moore, I wrote it down. So I wrote it down in its exact context so that we can go through it because, I mean, he said so much. And I think last time when me and uh, Christina Leske recorded the Ashley episode together, we just sort of like talked around all the different disgusting things he said, but I really wanted to like nail them down as far as what he said about Mandy. So... I did that for you, uh, <laughs> and I'm excited. I also really love Mandy Moore, and I think she's really underrated and a really sweet girl who just needs, like, swaddled and held and cuddled and protected, because she is, she just, she's like a little ornate glass figurine to me. Like, she's just delicate and fragile and, like, deserves all of our respect, because she's actually a really good singer. Wasn't the best dancer. Definitely was, like, a pre- Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. Like, she had, like, metal joints. But she was a good singer, and she was sweet and never did anything to hurt anybody. She was never, like, mean or malicious to anyone. She's, like, a sweet girl. And she's a fucking good actor. So, Mandy, I know you're listening, hon. We're here for you. Um, Now, Mandy and Wilmer dated from February of the year 2000 to February of 2002. So, exactly two years. Uh, They met on the set of a photo shoot for Teen Magazine, uh, surprise, he made the first move. He probably smelled that there was a child in the room and got excited, which we'll get into. And like I said, when they broke up a few years later, he went on Howard Stern and totally exploited her and, you know, talked about how he took her virginity, which she denied. Um, I actually believe he did because she, you know, he was her first boyfriend. They were together for two years. Um, so Mandy, unfortunately, I don't support you in that claim that it was all a lie. I, I, I do believe that he took your pearl. Unfortunately, girl, you got to be careful who you give it to. Sorry about it. Sorry you gave it to a guy that would go on Howard Stern and describe your hymen. Like, sorry. Uh, but neither here nor there. I guess we can get right into it. And obviously starting with Mandy, the real meat and potatoes of this episode and why we're really here. 
So, oh, and by the way, there's like a bunch of message board involvement in this episode. Like, apparently Mandy Moore had this very state-of-the-art website, mandymore.com in the year 2000 was like, I don't know, designed by Steve Jobs himself. And there was a lot going on in the message boards and on AIM for Mandy Moore at this time, which I'm really excited to get into. So, in the year 2000, Mandy Moore, I mean, she basically had all the promise of becoming one of the next, like, queens of Y2K, like, bubblegum pop music, you know what I mean? And there was a short of, a sort of, uh, there was a short of, there was a short period of time where she, like, teetered in popularity, and I think it was hard for people to kind of know where to place her, because you don't really often hear people bring up Mandy Moore when they talk about, like, their chosen pop star of their adolescence, and, you know, the way that they, you would, like, a Britney or a Christina or a Jessica... And you guys know, I like to put celebrities in, like, the Romy and Michelle yearbook ranking, because it just helps me kind of figure out where they were. And I would definitely say, like, for a few years, Mandy was a part of the C group, right? Like, obviously, A was Britney and Christina. I would say B, at the time, was, like, Jessica. And then the C group was, like, all of the other girls. There were those other girls that we all know about, like, the Vitamin C's, the Samantha Mumbas, the Willa Fords, you know what I mean? You had, like, some of those straggler girl groups, like, uh, 3LW. They were just, like, the other pop people. And I would say she definitely teetered in that group. Um, I think there were a lot of comparisons because she looked so much like the A and B group that it kind of didn't make sense in our brains that she wasn't in it, but she wasn't. And it's like, she knew she wasn't in the A group, we knew it, and the industry knew it, but they just sort of pretended not to know for a long time. Um, and I do think, like, venturing into acting was the best thing that she could have done, because, first of all, she's a really, she's a good actor. She's, a, I think she's a natural ability. Um, I think she is a better actor than she is a stage performer. And, you know, she had aged out at a certain point of bubblegum pop. And, you know, she also never really wanted to do it in the first place, I don't think. And we also weren't really here for, like, the rebirth of Mandy Moore. Like, raven-haired Mandy Moore when she came back with, like, a guitar and, like, a ba- like bare feet on stage over, like, <laughs> uh, like, a Persian rug. You know what I mean? Like, that was not, like, Lisa Loeb-Mandy Moore hybrid was, like, not something that we were feeling uh, when she came back as, like, a coffee shop performer. And... You know, I think she she needed to kind of reinvent herself. I think the smartest thing you can do is just be honest about, you know, just to, to be honest and be real with yourself about your abilities, you know? And not to say that Mandy Moore is not extremely talented. I do think she has an incredible voice. I've gone back now and watched, like, a ton of old performances on YouTube and old interviews and stuff. And to be honest with you, for her to be like a 15 year old girl, she was younger than all the other girls because they had all had albums out already. And she was so like poised and articulate and comfortable interviewing with people when she was a young girl. Um, and then all of her live performances, she always sang live and she always sounded incredible, to be honest with you. Like, she really had a lot of, like, control in her voice. And I don't know. I, I don't think she gets enough credit for how talented she was, especially to have been so young. Now, was she the, a good dancer? No. You know what I mean? Did she have metal joints, metal, like, bolts in her body for joints? Uh-huh. 
but besides that, she was a really good performer. She was a good vocalist. She, you know, I mean, she she never tried to like go above and beyond and like be a Christina. She knew her lane, which was to sing in like a perfect falsetto head voice at all times and just stay there, and that was it. Um, but I I think that Mandy's origin story is really interesting, and I just wanted to kind of like get into that for a second, if we could. So. When Mandy was 13, she started writing and producing her own music in hopes to kind of land a record deal, obviously. And she was actually discovered by, I don't know if you know the story or not, it's kind of like folklore, and I think a lot of people have told reiterations of this story throughout the years in different ways. But what really happened was she was discovered by a FedEx delivery driver named Victor Cade, who also worked as a part-time talent scout. And so... Basically what happened, she was recording jingles in a recording studio in her hometown in Orlando. So Victor Cade comes in, he's delivering a package, and he overhears her singing. So then he took one of her demos, didn't even tell her, because I guess she had like a stack of like demos there that she was going to be handing out to people. He took one and gave it to his friend, Dave McPherson, who was famous for uh, signing the Backstreet Boys in 1993. That was sort of like his big break. Um... So he gave the demo to him, and this guy was also the vice president of Epic Epic of Epic Records. So the guy loved her, and that was kind of how she was discovered. Um, Victor Cade actually like looked him up, and I have a lot to say about Victor Cade. We'll get into uh, that in just a second here. A lot to say, um, but I have a quote here from Victor. I think this is from Huffington Post from like the year two thousand. He said. <clears throat> It was the model look, which I recognized when I first saw her. I thought, this girl is going to be beautiful when she grows up, and she's growing fast. Which, like, okay, creep, how do you know she's growing fast? She was groomed to be a star. She was well-groomed by her parents. And I kept telling the people at the studio that Mandy was a star. They weren't really paying attention to me. And like I said, there were different, like, reiterations of this story. I've heard that she was, like, in the shower, and he delivered a package, and all these different things. The fact of the matter is that she was singing jangle, jingle jangles at a, at a Orlando recording studio and he heard and the rest is history. Um, and I've always wondered, like, every time I've heard this story, what her relationship was like with Victor Cade. Like, what do you get the person that does that for you? Like, hey, by the way, I stole one of your CDs and gave you a 30 something year career. Is that okay? You know what I mean? Like, I've made you millions. Um, what do you do? Like, I hope she got him, like, a fruit basket or something, or, like, a, I don't know, what do you get people as gifts in the year 2000? A Chia Pet? I hope she got him a Chia Pet or something. A Clapper? Something good. I don't know. Um, also, by the way, when I was looking up Victor Cade, because I was just interested in, like, what he looked like and, like, what he does now, and I found his Twitter account, and <laughs> I want to read you his most recent tweet from 2015 he hasn't tweeted in years he said the guy that just he put he posted a picture of himself and it says the guy that discovered mandy moore and never got credit for it she never thanked me victor kate aka fedex guy the real story and then he tagged he just wrote that tweet himself like he he wrote the guy that discovered mandy moore never got credit for it she never thanked me victor victor kate aka the fedex fedex guy the real story and then he tagged Mandy Moore, TMZ, MTV, E! News, Washington Post, The New York Post, LA Times, and BET. 
because I'm sure BET is so interested in the origin story of Mandy Moore from the year 2000. I'm surprised they didn't get right back to him. Uh, that then led me to his LinkedIn profile that literally states, hand to God, I'm not making this up, you can look at it for yourself, February of 2002 to March to 2004, worked in A&R and discovered Mandy Moore. This man's LinkedIn profile says, discovered Mandy Moore. Like, by the way, he's me. Like, if I if I were him, I would have this tattooed on my body. Like, in quotes, Troy, here lies Troy McKeady, the man who discovered Mandy Moore. The real story. Hashtag MTV. Hashtag BET. Hashtag VH1. Hashtag Oxygen Network. Hashtag Universal Studios. Hashtag Disney. Um... <laughs> So at that point, Mandy, she started working on, you know, writing and recording her album. I'm using the the term writing very loosely. She was like 12. Uh, Her debut album in 1998 after being signed to Epic. And in the summer of 98, she and her family made the decision to pull her out of Catholic high school. So she enrolled in a homeschooling program. And then Epic actually sent Mandy on tour later that year with NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. By the way, speaking of my nemesis, Justin Timberlake, even our sweet Mandy Moore was not safe from the wrath of fucking ramen noodle head. The incessant torture that this man puts on young pop starlets is just endless. Uh, Mandy made an appearance on the James Gordon show in 2016, and she gave this quote. And if you're still a Justin Timberlake fan, I'd like to hear what you feel after I read this to you. She said, quote, Nobody really cared about me, but somehow there was a conversation about feet and foot size. And all the background all the background dancers and NSYNC's background dancers and my background dancers are backstage. I stroll up, I'm like 15, totally freaking out that Justin Timberlake is there. And he was like, you have really big feet for a girl. Since Mandy idolized him at the time, it left her emotionally scarred. Is anyone safe from him? <laughs> like, who hasn't he hurt? I can't think of anybody. Uh, Haters will say I'm bitter, but I'm not. I just, I can't stand that man. You don't fucking hurt Mandy Moore. It's one thing to break Britney Spears' heart and send her on a a fucking 10-year-long emotional spiral down a, 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 a rabbit hole, but you don't fucking tell Mandy Moore she's big feet at 15. Can you imagine that soft voiced, blonde haired, eight foot tall angel coming towards you and the first thing you say to her is you have big feet? How dare you? Mandy's debut single, Candy, was released on August 17th of 99. It was obviously a huge commercial success. Um, It was considered a song of the summer, which is huge. You know, being an artist that is sort of introducing yourself to the world, having a song of the summer is like, that's the goal. I mean, that's like, that's how you become recognized. For anybody, I mean, if you're an artist that can have a song of the summer, by the way, if you go back and study, I'm actually like really obsessed with this and I find it really interesting. If you go back and study like artists who like when they release songs, like some of the most successful artists release just like fucking bops in the summer. Like Rihanna is infamous for a song of the summer. Uh, Katy Perry was infamous for a song of the summer. Call Me Maybe was a song of the summer. The song of the... Oof, I'm hmm, going to be saying that a lot, apparently. The song of the summer is, like, the song that you remember for the year. Like, every other song that comes out that's popular during the year is one thing. But that song specifically, the hit in the summer, is the one that you remember. It's the one that's going to make the Now CD. 
you know what I mean? That's going to be on the Totally Hits 83. And Candy was one of those songs. It premiered at 88 on the Billboard Hot 100. It peaked at 41. And it also received a gold certification for selling 500,000 units in the U.S. And it went platinum in Australia. Um, And Mandy's debut album, So Real, was released on December 7th of 1999 through Epic Records. And the album debuted at 77 on the Billboard Hot 200. That peaked at 31, and it went on to sell over a million copies. It was given official platinum certification. And, I mean, that's the thing, like, going back and reading all this stuff, like, you forget how successful these girls are when they feel like a, like a flash in the pan. Like, going back and reading all this shit, you know, with Molly for the Ashley Simpson show and, uh, you know, Summer of Simpson and stuff and like reading how successful Ashley was and how many records she sold and, you know, the, the plaques that she was getting. I mean, it's insane. And then it just kind of like stops. And then obviously those aren't things that you remember. You don't remember that, you know, so-and-so sold a million copies of their album, but that's pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, so her CD was super successful. I mean, she was panned by a lot of critics, and I don't think anybody took Mandy more seriously, but all that mattered was that was that teenage girls were going out and buying the music. That was really all that mattered, and they were. Um, and I think even though she came out around the same time, Britney and Christina had both released their singles ahead of her. Britney's was October of 98, and Christina's was June of 99. So... The comparisons were inevitable, and I do think that they were extremely damaging to what her career could have been as far as music, because any blonde like pop star to release a song after the fall of 98 was considered to basically just be a carbon copy of Britney. Like, I'm not kidding you, every single interview that I went back and watched, whether it was on a talk show, whether it was something that I read, um, a newspaper article, it could have been like the fucking Denver Nugget Whoa, <laughs> I just made up an, uh, a newspaper. The Dill Denver Nugget. They asked her about her, you know, the comparison between her and Britney and Christina and Jessica. It was very specific to those three girls and almost always Britney. And there was just really no way for her to avoid it. Um, And they were also a little bit older than her. Like, the comparisons were that, you know, they were also sexual. And which is this is something that we'll get into um, as well, but, you know, they were also sexual, and she wasn't, and that was sort of her thing, that she wasn't, like, a sexual, uh, like, a a sexy pop star, she was, like, the wholesome one, um, which people, I don't, I don't think really took into account that, yeah, she was, like, 16, which so was, so was Britney, but it was, you know, a little bit of time had passed, like, Britney was a little, felt a little bit older, um, and especially around the time that Mandy really, really took off, like, it, it just, I feel bad for her. I felt bad that this was how she was introduced into the world as just like this l- much lesser version of these other girls. You know what I mean? And she was so sweet. Like, I'm telling you guys, you have to go back and watch. Like, just YouTube Mandy Moore, the year 2000. You just want to pinch her little cheeks. She's so sweet and so nice and handles everything so well. And she's so well-spoken and articulate. I think I have a girl crush. Or a street crush, uh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so, during this time, Mandy had also become the Spurks, the Spurks person for Wet Seal, which is hilarious to me. Uh, she designed a Sony Walkman. 
LOL that she wore in the music video for Candy. Do you remember the scene where she's like getting ready in her room? She's got, I'm pretty sure she has one of those like stiff denim skirts that goes down to like your ankle, like hits at a super awkward spot, but like has a slit up to mid thigh on the sides. You know what I'm saying? Like fringed at the bottom, maybe like tie dyed at the bottom or something like ombre. And she's got like a big giant Sony Walkman on her hip. And she's like, listening to herself sing into it um she had also signed on at this point to become the face of neutrogena which lasted i feel like my entire lifetime like i literally i think of mandy moore when i think of the brand neutrogena and i feel like she's still the fucking face of neutrogena right like i don't even know a neutrogena commercial without mandy's face in it or like an advertisement she um she basically became a human billboard like and rightfully so. Like, Mandy Moore naturally looks and sounds like she was created in, like, Westworld or something to perfectly sell products to insecure teenagers. She just has the perfect look. She's adorable. She's sweet. She's not intimidating to young girls because she seems humble and, like, whatever. And she's, like, cute enough that I feel like she's the girl that young boys would look at and be like, oh, I want to, like, date her, not fuck her. You know what I mean? Like, I want to, like, take her home to mom and dad kind of thing. So she was the perfect sort of marketing thing. Mandy was being marketed as... She was Sony's good girl version of Britney Spears. That was sort of, like, where they placed her. She was, like... She was supposed to be doing all the exact same things, but she was trying to cater to a crowd in the same group of people who liked a more wholesome pop star. She was known for like not showing her midriff and like, you know, whatever. And that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Um, she was like the other white meat basically for lack of better term. And when Huffington Post asked her about filming her music video, she said, this is like one of my most favorite quotes that I'll ever say on this podcast ever. She said, It's just like doing a commercial, except, like, I'm the product. Everybody's there working for my benefit. Can you please tattoo that on my body somewhere? Actually, say that at my funeral. It's just like doing a commercial, except, like, I'm the product. (laughs) Like, she was born to be a fucking, uh, a spokesperson for Wet Seal, I'm telling you. Also from the same Huffington Post, or no, I'm sorry, this was Washington Post in the year 2000. It said... Mandy wants to be multi-talent. Mandy wants to be a multi-talented star of stage and screen. She wouldn't mind being huge like Janet Jackson and Bette Midler and Madonna, who were among her heroes, especially Madonna. Part of what created the Material Girl was blatant sexuality, the same carnal trajectory that is now propelling bleach blonde bombshells like Britney Spears and Aguilera to fame. But Mandy says she won't play that game. She doesn't like to show her midriff. She says, I don't want to wear anything where I look like I'm 20 or 21. On the cover of the new teen style magazine, Mandy wears a crop t-shirt with candy spelled out and red sequins across her chest. Her midriff is showing. She also is on the, on the record as opposed to breast implants. Mandy says, I would never have cosmetic surgery. She told the teen publication. She said, why rearrange or wait, she told the teen publication Jump after it was reported that Britney Spears had had a, a breast augmentation at 17. She said, why rearrange yourself just to get attention and make people like you? I love Mandy. Don't you love wholesome Mandy? 
I don't want to look like 20. Um, and recently, actually, I think this was like a couple years ago. Um, I read, I found this quote that she said about like this time in her life. And she said, when I was first starting out in the music industry, I was always coupled in the same sense with Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And I was probably the worst out of all of them, to be honest with you. I think a lot of people look back and or she said, I think a lot of people back then thought Mandy Moore. She'll probably go back to where she came from in a year. Which is true. It's like I said earlier, I don't think people knew where to place her. And I, I think people saw her as a one-hit wonder um, after Candy came out and she had more hit songs. It was like one of those... You know when that thing happens where somebody releases like more than one hit song that you thought for sure would be a one-hit wonder and you're shocked by every single like release? Like every single time they release a new single, you're like, well, good for them. That was kind of like how I was at the beginning of Carly Rae Jepsen. Because I didn't get it back then. Like, I didn't get Carly during the Call Me Maybe era. And I was like, who is this 12-year-old girl who, like, now has a song with, like, Owl City or whatever the fuck? Um, I didn't get it. Now, of course, I worship Carly and I view her as a queen and a legend in this music industry. But it was kind of the same thing. Like, every time she had another hit, I was like, okay, well, good for her. Um, Now, Mandy started working on... Her second album, way before promotion for her debut album had even ended, which, I mean, just goes to show the way they fucking pimp these kids out. Like, as soon as you get a little bit of success and as soon as they realize, like, you know, that she's profitable in any way, they just get sucked right into the machine. And it's like single after single after single after single video, 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 you know, advertisement, advertisement, advertisement. It just like never ends. It becomes like a whole thing. And they started working her like a slave. Uh, She released the title track from her second album, I Want to Be With You, in July of the year 2000. Uh, That song peaked at number 24 on the Billboard chart and became a huge commercial success. It was also used for the film Center Stage. In my humble opinion, I Want to Be With You is Mandy's best song to date. I really like Crush a lot, but I mean, I Want to Be With You is just a really underrated pop ballad. And I went back and watched the music video. Fucking hysterical. Please go back and watch this video. She's like in a... Well, it's for center stage. She's in like a a dance room. And she's like perfectly placed on the floor. And it's one of those really shitty, cheesy music videos that I think they stopped making after like 2004. But they were always really popular in the 80s and 90s too. Where it was for a movie. And there's just random clips of the movie just, like, playing behind them. Or, like, in a mirror. Or, like, in a puddle or something. You know what I mean? Like, they'll go to, like, pour a glass of water and the reflection in the water is, like, a clip from the film that makes no sense. But, yeah, I I would suggest going back and watching it. Also, it's just an incredible song. And this album, along with her other albums and pretty much all of her singles, like I said earlier... Terrible reviews from critics, like, they called her disposable, carbon copy, and, you know, but like I said earlier, she was still extremely marketable, and she sold a shit ton of albums, because they knew how to market her to young girls, and make them go out and buy shitty pop music that had no substance behind it, that's just the name of the game. Brands loved her, she was the perfect spokesperson, she was great on camera, like, Everything was coming up roses for Mandy Moore, even though nobody took her serious at all, except for her management. There's nobody else was taking her serious. Um, 
you know, when I did the Paris episode, I talked about how Paris's manager had realized at that time that Paris was born with all the attributes that a company tries to sort of use to sort of manipulate a person into buying something, being blonde and blue-eyed and like a very, um, on paper, pretty white woman. And having the ability to, I don't know, sort of charm people into doing things for you. Um, I feel like Mandy also had those attributes as a young child and, you know, she just looks like she's constantly ready to sell fucking herbal essences at every moment. Like everything she says sounds like the perfect advertisement. Um, now this kind of leads me, I'm not going to really go, to be honest with you, like too deep into fucking Wilmer. Like he was on the, that 70s show for a couple years. Uh, at that point, you know, when he met Mandy, he was riding the wave of like being on this hit television show and being, I mean, he was becoming some sought after dick in Hollywood. That's pretty much what it is. You know, he, the following year he went on to do Party Monster and he, that was like his introduction into film. And, uh, at that point, so up to when he met Mandy, he had dated Christina, Christina Milian, another C-lister with Mandy. Christina perfectly fits into the C, the C group. Uh, he was, or that was his first girlfriend in the industry. He had dated Ariana Richard who you may also know as the little girl who screams in Jurassic Park. Not really sure how that happened, but okay. And then uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. That was who he dated right before Mandy. And now Wilmer and Mandy met, like I said earlier, on the set of a photo shoot for Teen Magazine. And they began dating shortly after. Mandy considers this to be her first official relationship at the time. And, oh no, she, this was her first official relationship, but at the time, she considered this to be, like, her first, like, real, like, love of her life. And I actually went back, and, so in the Facebook group, we were talking about Diary, and all of our favorite Diary episodes, and I forgot how much I loved Mandy Moore's first Diary, because she did, like, I want to say two? Because there was another one where she dated, she was dating Andy Roddick, but in her first one, or maybe it was her second, maybe she did three, I don't know. But in the one that she did for this one, where she was like doing a walk to remember and stuff, she was dating uh, Wilmer. And it was so weird to see, because Mandy's family, I mean, she's one of those ones where like, when you think of Britney, you do sort of think of like her family. When you think of Jessica, you definitely think of her family. When you think of Christina, you don't. Christina's family was never, like, a really big part of her. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. you got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So, go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate, and then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's, uh, Brittany and Kevin chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to Molly and It'll take you straight to it. And, uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So like I said, patreon.com slash EB and Molly and the 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.